0: Recall that Job, at the start of the story, prays for his sons, but not for his friends. He does not pray for anyone beyond his family. But for Judaism, Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, it is a principle that, quote, prayer is the province of the community, end quote. Will he now show in his prayer that he truly empathizes with the suffering of those beyond his most inner circle? Welcome to Bible 365, episode 252, Job's Prayer. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. As we bring the book of Job to a close, we turn again to a tale of empathy and loving loyalty, the story of Rabbi Herschel Schachter, chaplain in Patton's Third Army, who became, in the title of Raphael Medoff's wonderful biography, the Rabbi of Buchenwald. Describing one episode, Medoff writes, quote, Rabbi Schachter spoke in later years of another memorable encounter in the Buchenwald Hospital. Among the prisoners he found there was Jacob Avigdor, who had been the chief rabbi of the Jewish communities of Borislav and Drohobich. In southeastern Poland, a renowned intellectual and orator, Avigdor had received rabbinical ordination at age 16 and earned a PhD in philosophy at the University of Lwów. During the six years of living in attics, ghettos, and concentration camps, Avigdor painstakingly created a series of handwritten Hebrew calendars in order to keep track of Sabbaths, holidays, and other religious occasions. Invariably, the calendar would be discovered when the rabbi was strip-searched upon arrival at each new site of imprisonment, so he would create another one. The calendar he fashioned in Buchenwald was the one that survived. His son, Rabbi Isaac Vigdor of West Hartford, Connecticut, discovered it among his father's manuscripts 20 years after his passing. It was, the son wrote, a masterpiece written on yellow scraps of paper, but clearly legible, each letter like a pearl. The original is now on display in Yad Vashem. And Manov adds, when Rabbi Schachter found Rabbi Avigdor in the Buchenwald quote-unquote hospital. He weighed just 80 pounds. The chaplain was profoundly distressed at the sight of a distinguished sage completely shattered, nearly starved to death, and clad in scraps of material that could not even be described as clothing. He did the one thing he thought he could do to help restore the rabbi's dignity. He gave him his pants. It wasn't exactly a close fit, Schachter noted, since Rabbi Avigdor was quite tall, and I am not but it was a matter of his dignity as a human being, end quote. To feel the suffering of others, and to go above and beyond to seek the alleviation of that suffering. This is the story of Rabbi Schachter in Buchenwald, and this theme takes central stage at the end of the book of Job, when we study one seemingly small prayer uttered by the book's main character, a prayer that actually speaks volumes for generations of biblical readers. As we saw yesterday, God speaks to Job out of the whirlwind describing the inability of mankind to understand the ways of God. Job accepts God's words, and then the Almighty turns to Job's friends, who wrongly accused Job of sin. Chapter 42, verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. We are then told of Job being healed and of him having a family again. Verse 10, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. What is happening here? Why does the book conclude with Job being asked to pray for his friends? This chapter became the foundation for a famous speech delivered in the 1950s by Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, known in Hebrew as Kol Dodido Feik, and in English as Fate and Destiny. According to Rabbi Soloveitchik's reading of the book's conclusion, God does not explain to Job why all his suffering has occurred. Rather, God demands a response by Job, inspired by his suffering. He demands that Job, remembering his suffering, seek to alleviate suffering in others. Rabbi Soloveitchik wrote, quote, Judaism has recommended that the metaphysical inquiry be replaced by the halakhic ethical gesture. Man should not ask, why evil? He should rather raise the question, what am I supposed to do if confronted with evil? How should I behave vis-a-vis evil? The latter is a powerful challenge to man, and it is the duty of man to meet this challenge boldly and courageously. End quote. And then Rabbi adds, quote, Man was summoned to defy evil and try to eliminate it. However, if he fails temporarily to defeat evil, he must see to it that the confrontation be a courageous one, heroic and useful. In a word, instead of philosophizing about the nature of evil within the framework of a theodicy, Judaism wants man to fight it relentlessly and to convert it into a constructive force, end quote. Rabbi Soloveitchik thus argues that the experience of evil and of suffering inspires two reactions. The first, as succinctly summarized by Rabbi Ruvin Ziegler, is that, quote, man must actively combat evil and try to eliminate it. God gave him the talents and abilities to fight both natural and human causes of suffering, such as disease, famine, war, poverty, and oppression, and he must make full use of them. End quote. And the second reaction for Rabbi Soloveitchik must be what he calls, quote, empathizing with one's fellow man, identifying with his hurt and feeling responsibility for his fate. End quote. In further elaborating on Rabbi Soloveitchik's approach to Job, we must return to something stressed in our initial study of this biblical book. Recall that Job, at the start of the story, prays for his sons, but not for his friends. He does not pray for anyone beyond his family. But for Judaism, Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, it is a principle that, quote, prayer is the province of the community, end quote. And thus, for Rabbi Soloveitchik, the question facing Job at the end of the book is, quote, did he adopt for himself a new style of collective prayer that encompasses the community, end quote. Meaning, will he now show in his prayer that he truly empathizes with the suffering of those beyond his most inner circle? This, for Rabbi Soloveitchik, is why Job's prayer at the end of the book is so significant. Suddenly, the man who at the beginning of the story prayed for his family, now prays for his friends. Indeed, I would add that he prays for the very friends that had failed him in his time of distress. Thus, we can say that the book of Job, which begins with failed friendships, ends with a successful one. According to Brasovitchik's interpretation of this book, Job, the man who has suffered, seeks now not explanation of what has occurred to him, but rather he seeks to alleviate, indeed prevent, the sufferings of others. Job is one of the few biblical books in which friendship is a central theme. So many scriptural stories are about families. Abraham and Isaac, Jacob and his sons, Joseph and his brothers, Moses and his siblings, David and his children. In the book The Rabbi of Buchenwald, Raphael Madoff describes how after liberation, so many of the survivors desperately desired to connect with their families and how, in the end, they were able to do so because of their newfound friend, a chaplain who had not suffered with them, but who, upon seeing their suffering, thought only of doing whatever he could do on their behalf. Madoff writes, quote, The rabbi also organized an illegal mail service for the Buchenwald survivors. They felt a desperate need to be in communication with their loved ones. I have relatives here, there, anywhere. How do I tell them that I am alive? The obstacle was that there was no functioning mail service in Germany in the immediate aftermath of the war, and Schachter was prohibited by military regulations from sending civilians' mail through the army postal system. He eluded the ban by putting each survivor's letter in another envelope, which he then addressed to their intended recipients with his own name as the return address. I sent out hundreds of such letters and recipients wrote back to me. The army clerks were going crazy because the entire headquarters received only one or two sacks of mail each day and I was getting three sacks a day. End quote. And Medoff further tells us that Rabbi Schachter added that though all this was technically against the military rules, quote, you can imagine what it meant to the survivors so well they can only shoot you once as they say. End quote. Rabbi Shachter. Medoff concludes the chapter, quote, would become the public face of the survivors and play an important role as an eyewitness who drew the American public's attention to the plight of the DPs in the months leading up to the establishment of the State of Israel, end quote. The speech that I have been citing from Rabbi Soloveitchik was delivered in the 50s, following the Holocaust and the early years of the State of Israel. After explicating the end of Job and describing the biblical obligation to respond to suffering, Rabbi Soloveitchik said, We too are living in troubled times, in days of anger and distress. We have been afflicted with violent pogroms and have become accustomed to suffering. In the past 15 years, we have undergone torturous ordeals that are unparalleled in thousands of years of diaspora, degradation, and destruction. This chapter of suffering did not end with the establishment of the State of Israel. To this day, the State is still in a condition of crisis and danger, and we all fear for its future. We are all eyewitnesses to the rising star of the iniquitous and to the corruption of international law by the Western nations, out of indifference to the principles of justice and fairness. All try to curry favor with our enemies, and bow and scrape before them with false humility and shameful hypocrisy. All are concerned with the welfare of our enemies, and remain indifferent to the suffering Jewish state." Thus, by citing Job, Rabbi Soloveitchik was summoning his audience to seek to help their fellow Jews around the world, and to seek to help the Jewish state that had just recently arisen. Following this examination of Job, Rabbi Soloveitchik, in the very same speech, turned to another text, Solomon's Song of Songs, utilizing it to describe, in the midst of the battles for the life of the state of Israel, the acts of providence that could be discerned. It was only working on Bible 365 that I realized that in the traditional order, Eov, Job is immediately followed by Shirashirim, the Song of Songs. And I thought to myself that this may have been part of the reason that Rabbi Soloveitchik joined the two books in his address. Thus, we begin the Song of Songs tomorrow. And given that tomorrow is the day that the anniversary of Israeli independence will be celebrated, we will focus then on what Rabbi Soloveitchik expressed in his continuation of this speech. Today, on Yom HaZikaron, Israel's Memorial Day, we bring the poignant, painful tale of Job to a close, pondering how we must feel obligated to empathy and action. And tomorrow, on Israeli Independence Day, continuing to study these texts through Rabbi Soloveitchik's eyes, we will ponder the miracles of our age. This is Meir Soloveitchik wishing you a meaningful Yom Hazikaron and looking forward to learning together with you on Yom Ha'atzma'ut tomorrow, signing off.